Are you enjoying the Tiffin team being here with us? Yeah, the only downside is we just need Blaine to get a little more energy. You know, I think that would, would help a lot. Uh, but besides that, great stuff. Hey, didn't tell you announcements. I, I should have. Uh, one of the things I want to let you know is last Sunday, uh, our church here in Fremont campus raised over $10,000 for LifeWise Christian Academy. And so we are excited about that. And, uh, and just glad you're here. We're starting a new series, Sketchy Views of God. And we're doing this because that's really a problem. It's an issue. A lot of times, people will have kind of an inaccurate, a sketchy view of God, and then uh, they're disappointed in that God didn't come through or do for them what they thought God would do based on their sketchy view. Does that make sense? And so because of that, we need to talk about this. And when that happens, then their faith kind of wavers. And to some extent, they walk away from God. Sometimes they leave God entirely. Sometimes they just kind of distance themselves from God. And uh, when you have doubts, uh, which make, you know, these people will have doubts. And, and it kind of makes sense that they would have doubts because they're having doubts in their sketchy view of God, a God that never existed. So maybe it's good they have doubts because that God is not real. We need an accurate view of God. And a lot of times people grow up in the church, they attend Sunday school, but their Sunday school God doesn't answer adult questions. And they get older and they start asking fact-based questions and they only get face-based answers and that causes a disconnect. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and, and if you're here, whether you believe in God, I mean, it's a slam dunk for you, or you don't believe in God, or you used to believe in God, or you've never been sure about God, it doesn't matter. We're glad that you're here. We want you to be here. So thanks for being at Grace. Today, we're going to talk about the first sketchy view of God and that's non-existent God. I'll get back to that in a minute. But some people, they never really took God seriously. And other people took God seriously, but then something happened in their life. And that changed that. And we know a lot of times that happens at college. You know, where students will, will enroll in college, they'll take a religion class. If you haven't figured this out yet, a lot of religion classes at colleges are taught by atheists. And so then they go to that class, and the whole class just pokes holes in Christianity. They don't, they, it's not an open, even debate, atheism, Christianity. It's just poking holes in Christianity. And, uh, and, and that's by atheists or new atheists, and they're kind of famous for that. And, and i got to tell you, college professors are probably pretty unimpressed by Christian students' ability to defend their faith. And so, you know, people see these stats, Christians see these stats, and, and we think, wow, you know, all these teens are changing their minds in college, but I, I don't think that it's so much that Christian minds are lost at college 
I think a lot of it is that Christian minds never made it to college. When they went there, they didn't have a right view of God in the first place. And because of that, they could not withstand arguments. Many students, before they go into the world, they display kind of a weak emotional faith and they ignore the biblical command for us to be ready to defend our faith. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and respect. What's this? God is commanding us as believers to prepare ourselves to be ready to give answers for why we have faith in Christ. And so we're prepared, but sometimes, unlike the other side, we're called to do this with gentleness and respect. That's what God wants for us. So many Christian teens, if they're Christians, head off into the world with nothing more than a sketchy view of a feel-good emotional faith. And that's tragic because Christianity started, the first Christians, they believed, why? Because of evidence. The evidence of the resurrection is what caused the church to explode. Evidence preceded the New Testament. People became believers because of the evidence before the New Testament was ever written. So today's culture, we find ourselves in this situation where Christianity is increasingly uh, attacked. It's an anti-Christian bias. Every day, the media pounds a continuous drumbeat against the Christian faith. Not other faiths, not atheism, against the Christian faith. And so we need to stand with a right view of God to withstand all that. So we want to get started. Sketchy view number one. Non-existent God, the non-existent God. Have you ever thought of it this way? What is the most important question in life? This is a question kind of like philosophers will ask. What's the most important question? One question, if it all boiled down to one question, what would be the most important question be? You know, and you could do that surface level. Hey, am I gonna be happy today? You know, or something like that, but this is deep. And maybe the most important question a lot of philosophers would say, that question is, does God exist? Because if God exists, that gives a lot of information for the kind of the four key questions we have for existence. So there's four uh, main questions of existence, which we... So we exist, we think, therefore we are, you know. And so the four questions of existence are, where did I come from? Why am I here? How should I live? And where am I going? So above that is, does God exist? If you believe or disbelieve that question, how you answer that question will depend on what you do with the questions of existence. Well, why am I here? God made me or I'm, I'm an accident, you know, on and on. So you follow me? If you answer that question first, does God exist? It informs 
the other questions we have about our own existence. That's why that's important. So how you think about God is the most important thing about you. How you think about God, what you think about God, how you define, that's, define God. That's the most important thing about you, and that will affect more than anything else the way you live. The answer to how does God exist, the answer to does God exist, shapes everything you do and everything you think. It's that foundational. And it's crazy, in public schools, we don't allow students to even think about this one major question of life that feeds in to all the major questions of existence. We sort of ignore the whole thing. Recently, I was at a school board meeting and came in contact with an atheist, a former science teacher. And he was taking issue uh, to my position of allowing public school students to, with their parents' permission, to leave school and then learn about the Bible during one of their school hours and then go back. And so he didn't like that. And, And why, you know, we know why he didn't like it, because he doesn't think it's true. And so as we had kind of an exchange, I said, you know, and he started throwing science out. I said, well, if you want to talk science, I'll talk science with you right after this meeting. But he was just kind of perturbed, angry, because he didn't think it was true. But even that, which I didn't get into that, but even that the fact that he was mad because he didn't think it was true, even that he believes in truth is actually an evidence for God. Because if what he's saying is right, we just accidentally appeared in the universe and we're all just walking piles of chemicals, there's no truth, there's no morality, there's no value, there's no purpose, there's no meaning in life. So it doesn't matter. Even his own, his own feelings are, are actually an argument for God. But here's the deal, there's not that many atheists today. Most people are not atheists, even if they don't follow God. And let me explain that. What happens is people realize that there's a lot of baggage with atheism. If you're an atheist and there is no God, then there's no purpose or meaning in your life, what I was just talking about. So a lot of people, they don't, they don't go with that. You know, they, they do believe that there's something there, there's some type of meaning or purpose. And so because of that, They distance themselves from God because they hear atheistic arguments that they can't stand up to, but they don't want to be atheists, so they just distance themselves with God. And I think there's another reason. Because they don't want to be accountable to God, so it's easy for them to do that. They don't want to be atheists because they have no meaning, purpose, reason for life. But then on the other hand, they don't want to be a Christian because then they're accountable to a personal, holy, and righteous God. So they put themselves in the middle and they categorize themselves, we call them nuns, because they don't affiliate. No, I'm not an atheist. No, I'm not a Christian. I'm here in the comfortable middle where I don't have to confront the problems of atheism, but I don't have to have a God that I'm actually accountable to. That's where a, this is the largest growing segment of our population today. Their thinking is, you know, well, I can't know for sure. I'm not exactly an atheist, 
but I have doubts about the God I used to believe in. You know, I get that. But here's something I want you to consider. The God you used to believe in may not be God at all because it was a sketchy view of God. You had the wrong God. And so it was easy for these arguments to kind of tear him down. And so if your view of God is sketchy, even weak arguments can cause doubts. Does that make sense? Uh-oh, I lost everybody. Does that make sense? Yes. Thank you. I feel better now. All right. A clear view of God recognizes the God the Bible describes. And so a clear view of God means that God is infinite. He's unlimited. He's spirit. He's not material or a physical being. He's spaceless. He transcends space. He's timeless. He transcends time. He's eternal. He has no beginning, no end. He's omnipotent. That means all-powerful. He can do whatever is logically possible. He is omniscient. That means all-knowing. He knows all actual and possible outcomes. He's immutable, which is a fancy way of saying he's unchanging. And he, because he's unchanging, is the standard by which all else is measured. He is holy, set apart, morally perfect, perf and along with that, perfectly just and perfectly loving. He is personal. He has a mind, emotion, and will. He takes action, makes choices. You see, we need to grow beyond some people's Sunday school view of God and understand the God of the Bible more fully. A lot of times when you ask people, well, I don't believe in that kind of... If you're talking to atheists or talking to people that are not sure about Christianity, a lot of times, and you're explaining it, and maybe you're getting to you know, righteousness and, and judgment or whatever, and they're saying, well, I don't believe in a God like that. Sometimes I think we need to just stop and ask them, which I've done before, just ask them, well, describe to me the God that you don't believe in. Because sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes when they're done describing that God, I'm like, yeah, I, I agree, I don't believe in that God either. Because that's not the God of the Bible. So we need to sometimes ask some probing questions. Now, there are dozens of arguments for the existence of God and you can, you know, you just go on. We could talk literally all day, every day. And I know you guys are excited for me to just, you know, for three hours talk about the existence of God, but I'm gonna hold back. But I'm gonna try to sum this up into just three real basic, easy to remember, uh, common sense kind of arguments. You know, and I'll start off this way. A lot of you know I love the mountains. I'm from Colorado, love the Rockies, love the mountains, like some of you love the lake you know, whatever it is. And I just love being in the mountains. That's why I like, you know, last few years I've been elk hunting. I never get an elk, but I just love being up there. I love getting up before the sun, going out to where you think the elk might be, and then waiting for them that morning. And then when they don't show up, spend the entire day hiking around mountains to try to find them. And then before it gets evening, go to where you think the elk are going to go for the night and hang out there, and then don't see them again, and then finally get back to your camp while it's still dark. That's, you know, that's 
That's, that's what I love. And why do I love that? Because you're in the mountains the whole time. Just like we love watching a sunrise or a sunset or being out on the lake or in the woods behind my house. I could stay in the woods behind my house all day. But there's always things to do, so we don't do that. But you could, why? Because it, it speaks something. And that's exactly what Scripture says. Well, and by the way, have you ever had a baby? Can you look at a newborn baby and then not think there's a God? Have anybody experienced that? You're looking at this child in a, in a crib and you're going, wow, there has got to be God for this to happen. Here's what Psalm 19, 1 says. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. What's the psalmist saying? Hey, creation is not verbally talking to us but it's telling us a bunch of stuff that we cannot miss if we just stop and look. And so I want to start with, with some of these laws, again, just very basic kind of common sense um, arguments for the existence of law, existence of God. I'm getting messed up here because the first one is the law of causality, and that's just a fancy way of saying where did everything come from. Right now, because scientific evidence is so strong now, wasn't always this way. Scientific evidence is now so strong that even most atheists, by far the majority of atheists, agree that the space-time continuum that we call the universe had a beginning. Atheist Stephen Hawking said, almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang, end quote. That's Stephen Hawking, famous atheist. Why? Well, the reason is because science has proven that the universe is expanding. We know by measurement that galaxies are drifting further apart. And so we know that. now. And when we know that, that everything's drifting, all we have to do is hit the rewind button, hit the back button, and then we... And then, boom, we have a beginning space and time. So everybody knows that. Logical conclusion, everybody believes that almost. So if there was a beginning, so we're all saying the universe had a beginning. Well, if there's a beginning, there had to be a cause. There had to be a cause. They used to say, well, the universe is just eternal, but they don't say that anymore. We know it had a beginning. If it had a beginning, there had to be a cause, and the, that's the law of causality. If time, space, and matter had a beginning, the cause must transcend time, space, and matter. Time can't cause time if time wasn't there to cause it, right? Matter can't cause matter if it wasn't there to cause matter. You get it, what I'm saying? Space can't cause space if there was no space before that. So cause, the cause, for the beginning, must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial. Now, we also know that that first cause must be enormously powerful to create a universe out of nothing. But it also must be 
personal because that force had to choose to create. An impersonal force has no capacity to choose to create. Impersonal forces, like what we call natural laws, cannot make decisions. They only, they merely govern what's already created, like the law of gravity. What does the law of gravity do? Well, the law of gravity always pulls. All right, but the law of gravity can't decide not to do that or can't decide to do anything else. It has no will. It's a law. It's an impersonal force. It can't decide anything. So the first cause, think about this. This is what science is telling us. The first cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, and personal. Exactly. Right? That sounds exactly like the God of the Bible. That's what science is telling us. It's interesting that a couple of months ago, we just finished going through the entire book of John, the Gospel of John. And back in December when we started that, we realize that John's first words are very profound. He says, in the beginning was the word. That's how we translate it in English. That term word in Greek is logos. But in Greek, that term logos meant a lot more than, say, a word on a page. The Greeks understood the logos to be the reasoning and the power behind the universe. And that's how John is starting out. In the beginning was the Logos. And that sounds a lot like the first verse in the entire Bible. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then other biblical writers have, have tuned into this. For example, Paul. Colossians 1.17 says, He, meaning God, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so this is real simple. Since nature had a beginning, nature can't be the cause of nature. Because there, were no, there was no nature before nature began, right? Okay, did I put you to sleep? Who, who's with me? All right. So... The cause has to be beyond nature, and that's why we use the term supernatural. It's not in nature, it's beyond nature. Beyond nature is just a term outside of nature, supernatural. So the conclusion that there's a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal first cause flows directly from the scientific evidence itself. Not the Bible. The evidence, the scientific evidence. That's where you get that. So, and here's what always happens. How many of you, it's kind of disappointing at first service. I think, let's, I think you guys are just way more spiritually in depth. We'll see. All right. <laughs> How many of you have ever engaged somebody in a spiritual conversation? You're talking about God. They're not so sure about God. And maybe you're doing this over a period of time. And then at some times, and you're saying, you know, God created. And then somebody asks you, well, then who created God? How many have been asked that question? Well, then who created God? You know, and then we have to give an answer. And the answer is, well, God's actually eternal. He has no beginning or whatever. Here, I'm going to show you a clip. This is a clip of a, a historical debate 
between one of the leading atheists in the world, Richard Dawkins, who's a new atheist who wrote The God Delusion, which started the whole kind of new atheism deal, against a Christian guy named John Lennox. And I just want you to see this. To me, this is interesting because we get on this level and people ask, but we always think, yeah, but these super intellectual guys, they're never on that level. Okay, well, let's see this. But I could just reverse that and say your position is the argument from personal credulity. Yeah, the rationality comes from irrationality, that mind comes from matter to, to, to me. The biblical explanation in the beginning was the word, the logos. That makes perfect sense. And it makes sense of the, of the fact that we can do science itself. But you haven't explained where the logos came from in the first well, place. Well, of course not, because the logos didn't come from anywhere. Well, then, in what sense is it an explanation? Because the notion that you say you have to ask who created the Logos, that says that you're thinking of a created God. The whole point about the God revealed in the Bible is that he was not created. He is eternal. He is the eternal Logos. And I ask myself, as an inference to the best explanation, which makes more sense, that there's an eternal Logos and that uh, the universe, its laws, the capacity for mathematical description, and so on, that these things are derivative, including the human mind from the Logos, that makes very much more sense to me as a scientist that it's the other way around. When there is no explanation for the existence of the universe, do you just believe the universe is a brute fact? The universe is an easier brute fact to accept than a conscious creator. Well, who made it? <laughs> it's you who insists on asking that question. No, no, you but asked me who made the creator. The universe created you, Richard. Who made it then? A god is a complicated entity which requires a much more sophisticated and difficult explanation than a universe, which is, according to modern physics, a very simple entity. It's ah. a very simple beginning. It's, it's not a negligible beginning, but it's a very simple beginning. That has got to be easier to explain than something as complicated as a god. Yeah, you can't explain the existence of God, but I, I think you may have missed my question. My, I'm drawing a parallel. You see, you say that it's at least, if, don't let me put words in your mouth, of course, because that would be unfair, but I'm getting the message that it's ridiculous for me to believe in a god who created the universe and me, because I have to ask who created God. All I'm doing is turning that question round and saying, the universe, you admit created you because there's nothing else. Well, then who created it? I understand you perfectly. I'm making that you, we, we both of us are faced with the problem of saying, how did things start? Yes. See, these guys are the most intellectual thinkers, you know, on these topics. And where does it come down to? Dawkins, the atheist, accuses Lennox, where, you know, you can't answer this question. Where did God come from? Same thing that people ask us. And then Lennox says, well, you don't understand God, or you, you couldn't ask that question, because God, by very definition, the God of the Bible anyway, is eternal and timeless. But notice Dawkins asks the question, even though his own view cannot answer the same question. 
that's how it always is. The, the arguments are always to put the Christian on the defensive, and it looks like they have a better position, but if you don't allow them to put you on the defensive, you can just say, okay, you answer that question. They don't have an answer for that. Does that make sense? And so Dawkins here, listen to what he's saying. The fact that time made time itself and space made space itself and matter made matter itself and then matter bumped into each other long enough that somehow life was created and there was some single cell organism, some amoeba. By the way, we know now scientifically that the DNA, the genetic code in an amoeba is the same information that it would take a thousand Encyclopedia Britannicas to hold. For you young people, encyclopedias are like books that you used to look up things in. I had a lot of information. But a thousand encyclopedias. That's the genetic information in one amoeba. But, but that just happened. And then not only that, all through macroevolution, more and more complex DNA information, more and more complex genetic code was just added from nowhere to make more complicated organisms. And that even led to us. And so it's all just a big accident. Dawkins is saying that's easier to believe than that there's a God. That says a lot. And then notice something else. He's saying God's complex. The universe started very simply. Universe is simple how that started. What? Everything came from nothing that simple? If that's so simple, why can't we do that? If that's so simple, why can't we create life? Well, they would say life comes from primordial soup that had all the right stuff and maybe some lightning hit it and boom, something happened. We had these single-celled animals with an incredible amount of DNA information. That just happened. Okay, well then do that in the lab. That's what science is. Believe in something you can reproduce. That's science. But they can't do that. They don't even try to do that. Best, you've heard me say this, you know, you take the best scientists in the world and put them in the best labs in the world and give them everything they need. They can't create a seed, not one seed. But everything came from nothing. It just happened unintelligibly. No intelligence involved. It just happened. Yeah, it, it's interesting he's saying, hey, Christians have this problem that you can't answer. Then Lennox says, you have the exact same problem. The law of causality. Where did everything come from? And then, what I alluded to second is life. Life is this huge hurdle, as I was just explaining. Sometimes, when I talk to atheists, if we have multiple conversations, actually, some people in our church have asked me this question when they were atheists. You know, all, if I've had a lot of conversations, sometimes kind of out of frustration, you know, or sometimes just you're trying to figure it out, you'll just say, what will it take for you to believe in God? You personally, just what would it take for you personally to believe in God? We've been talking about God. I've been giving you reasons for God. But just for you, where you're sitting right now, and they're usually in my office, sometimes they're somewhere else, 
What would it take for you to believe in God? More than one person has said this to me, and maybe they've said it to you. If I walked out of this office right now, and in the sky, the clouds formed a message saying, I exist, here I am. Then I believe, I would believe. And that makes sense to us. Because if it happened right then, he would know I couldn't call a sky rider. Hey, Bob, you know, get your plane up there, do some riding for me. You know, that's, I can't do that that fast. But he also knows that clouds don't form themselves in informational sequences. Clouds don't do that. And, and he's right, they don't. But here's the weird thing about that. Yeah, if I just saw the clouds, it was written in the sky. Do you realize that we see informational sequences far more complicated than if our name was written in the clouds every single second of every single day our eyes are open. Do you understand that? A word in the clouds or even a, a sentence in the clouds that will never happen is way less complicated than life. Way less. It's not even on the same planet. Way less complicated. God's far more complex. And I believe this is why Paul wrote in Romans 1, beginning in 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then there's a why. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. How's that? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. That's powerful. That's Paul telling us none of us have an excuse to disbelieve in God because God has put us in a world where we see the evidence of him, his eternal power and his divine nature all around us every single day. Now we get used to it. And we're not used to writing in the sky. But what we see every day, way more complicated than writing in the sky. Atheists have no way to account for life. They believe it's all an accident. Every day in our country, we teach school children that life happened accidentally and when they start peeling back the layers, everybody knows that's impossible. Impossible. The simplest life structures have billions of genetic code. Where'd that come from? No answer. And then third argument, and I'll stop here real short. The order and balance that we see all over it shows intelligent design. Exactly how does a highly ordered universe come from complete chaos and disorder? That doesn't happen anywhere, does it? Christians and theists have an answer. Atheists don't have an answer to that. 
Some of you might remember years ago when I went to the scrapyard down at Burns, right? And I took a hand grenade. And I threw the hand grenade into the pile of junk. Anybody remember this? It was a fake hand grenade. But, but then the explosion, and then I drove out in a nice Jeep. Anybody remember that? You realize, Throw a hand grenade into Burns scrapyard. Everything you need for a Jeep's in there. And I just blow it up, and it becomes a Jeep. That does not happen. Oh, oh, but if you did that every year for a billion years, it would happen. No, it wouldn't. That doesn't happen anywhere at any time. Right? Getting ready for this message on Friday, I was cruising to rallies, had to get a big Buford and a Coke that I eat at my desk every Friday as I'm studying, which powers my mind. For the, But anyway, I'm there at rallies, and at rallies, it's both sides are a drive-up lane. How many knows? You know what I'm saying? The building's in the middle. You have two drive-up lanes, the left and the right, but the left is closed, and it's been closed for a long time. And I'm, because there's no left, I'm stuck in a line, which I hate lines, but I'm stuck in this line, but I'm looking at the left lane, thinking, man, if that lane was open, I'd be there. I'd be at the window right now. But anyway, I'm looking at the left lane, and what do I see? The, the lane has been closed. Nobody's used the lane for years now. And I'm looking at it, and it's looking all janky. There's a pothole in the concrete. There's a this, there's a that. It's falling apart. And I'm thinking, this hasn't even been used, and it's fallen apart. This one, the right lane, they've kept up. But here's my point. Notice nature, we say nature built life. Nature did it itself. Nature just tears things down. You know, nature is, hey, that lane hasn't been used, and it's falling apart. There's things growing up in it. There's a big pothole. They have all these. How did that happen? It's just like roads. We think, well, roads, they have to be repaired all the time. Well, why? Because we're driving on them. Well, okay, but what about the roads we don't use anymore? How are they doing? You go back to a road that hasn't been used in 30 years, it's not a road anymore because it hasn't been sealed, it hasn't been taken care of. Nature reduces things to rubble. We can't leave rallies for 10 years and come back and there's a second floor and four lanes, right? It's only going to be less than what it was, right? That's what nature does. Why is it? We all know this. In order for order and balance to show there has to be intelligent design. Not only that, somebody has to keep, keep it going. That's what Paul was saying. Same thing. Hey, you got to have a clear view of God. Bad arguments against God get traction when our view of God is sketchy. So that's what this whole series is going to be about. So that's my introduction. So now we're going to start going into some sketch. No, we'll do that next week. We're wrapping up. Think about it. God is infinite. God is spirit, God is spaceless, God is timeless, God is omnipotent, God is omniscient, God is unchanging, God is holy, God is just, God is righteous, God is one God and three persons. That's the God of the Bible. What am I saying? God has emotion and will. God makes choices and God takes action. 
And here's what I'm here to tell you. This is what God is communicating to all of us. God created you. God created you. You're not an accident. You didn't just happen. You're not a cosmic mistake. God created you. And not only that, God knows you. God knows everything about you. God knows every skeleton in your closet, every selfish thought you've ever had in your head. God knows you completely. And amazingly, God still loves you. You, no matter who you are, where you're from, what you believe, God loves you. But God doesn't force himself upon you. God's given us free will. So we can be self-aware, we could know there's a God exists, and we can choose to have a relationship with him. But because God loves us, he invites and he woos and he wants us to come to him. And he's made every provision for that to happen. And even in his holiness, and none of us are holy because we've all used our free will to do things that are wrong. And so that puts us kind of on the bad side of God in that God is perfectly just. And in order to be perfectly just, you have to punish wrong. And so we all deserve punishment, every one of us. But God, because he loved us so much, you, because he loved you so much, he allowed his one and only son, God paid our penalty for us. He died, he bled out on the cross of Calvary outside the walls of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago in order to pay for your sin so that your sins are taken care of and you can have a relationship with a righteous and holy God. But the way that happens is that we have to humble ourselves. We have to acknowledge him, admit our sin, humble ourselves, and then put our faith or our trust in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation, knowing he paid our price, he paid our penalty. And that's how I can be forgiven. And there's still justice in the world. And, and there's not perfect justice now, but perfect justice will roll like a river, scripture says, it's coming. And we need to be ready. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, we, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. Otherwise, we wouldn't know. Lord, we thank you for giving us minds that we can be self-aware and we can think and know you. And Father, we pray together that all of our friends here, our neighbors, people from our community, anybody that's here, and there are some here, that don't know you in that way. Lord, that you would tug on their heart, that you would somehow let them know inside their own being that you exist, that you love them, that you want a relationship with them forever, and you paid the price to make that possible, that they would come to you. Father, thank you for loving us like that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.